welcome to episode 29 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different type of Mansi or method of magic. This will be part two on our coverage of Irish magic, bringing us right into season two of Mansi. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. And last week, we discussed Irish mythology and Celtic culture. We went over the Druids, who were critical to Celtic leadership and culture, that, of course, made them targets by the conquering Romans. They were defeated via cultural genocide. As the Druids were the tribe's library, diplomat, doctor, and spiritual leader all rolled into one. The Celts survived in Ireland, though, as the Romans were reluctant to cross the sea. They were like, eh, too much work. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, St. Patrick brought Christianity to Ireland to finish what the Romans started. When people talk about St. Patrick chasing snakes out of Ireland, they're actually talking about uh, St. Patrick chasing out the Druids and pagans. Mm -hmm. The culture was strong, though, and the Druids were clever. When the monks recorded pagan mythology, it was broken in many ways, and Christianity was used to fill in the gaps. The lore goes that the Irish gods and magical creatures were neutral during the war in heaven, where it was like Jesus on one side, Satan in the other, and then people who were like, this is dumb, I just want to be in heaven, and were neutral, were banished to a separate other world called the Fae for their neutrality. As such, Their neutrality is maintained, and the creatures of the Fae both help and hurt humans in equal measure. Some of them, though, are portrayed as outright demons, and those who practice the old ways of the Druids, or communed with the creatures of the Fae, were tried as witches. Today, we're going to be talking about fairies, magic, and witches in Ireland, in part two of our special Irish Heritage Day episode on Irish Magic. Now, if you recall in Irish mythology, their gods, the Tuatha Dé Danann, dwelled in a place called the Otherworld. We don't know much about this Otherworld, but we do know that the myth evolved into that of the Fae where the other world played host to gods and maybe the spirits of the dead. The Fae was a realm of demoted angels. Mm. It's like the middle management of heaven. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's like, demoted, you should have fought for Jesus. <laughs> but I didn't fight for Satan. Okay, half demoted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fae is a realm of wonder and horror. It's also how Celtic mythology survived. Of course... You couldn't practice paganism, but you could tell cool stories. Right. So the mythology became folk tales and evolved organically from there. And boy, are the tales and poems exciting. I have a book called A Treasury of Irish Folk Tales that is a pretty solid collection of them. A lot of them are poems. I think Yeats wrote a lot of them. Uh, It's pretty decorative. I picked it up at Barnes & Noble, and I bought a gift copy for Rye, uh, who Mm -hmm. we are going to be doing the reading for. And uh, instead of using Ogham, like we did last time, traditional Ogham, we're using a board game called The Duke, which was a chess variant inspired by Ogham. 
Oh, yeah. I didn't. I knew that it, you had told me, and I forgot that it was inspired by BS. Yeah. You draw your pieces, your wooden pieces, randomly out of a bag and place them on the board. Kind mm-hmm. of like drawing Occam runes. So there's this element of like random chance mixed in with like elements of chess. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The Fae, the Fair Folk, are not just demoted angels, though. Folklorists have theories that range from fairies being the children of Eve before the fall of Adam, ghosts, various kinds of demons, an ancient race of people, or even aliens. Aliens! In fact, modern folklorists have drawn several parallels between reported encounters with the Fae and alien abduction stories. Because they're surprisingly similar in their structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before the Christianization of Ireland, the Druids believed that there were spirits who resided in the trees and rocks and other parts of nature. In that way, it's a little bit like Japanese Shintoism. In fact... Can I tell a story yeah. <laughs> from my early my early days? So um, many, many moons ago, when I very, very first started reading, I used to read out of a shop. And it was kind of the only shop in Salt Lake that was really like a magical store that really was like, we sell witch shit. Like that's – and I remember one day I was like kind of just hanging out. They had like a chair in their um, shopping area. So I would just kind of sit in the chair and wait for clients. And this guy came in and he – was I mean, he was probably 45 years old and was incredibly intelligent, and he was losing his goddamn mind. And he was like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just freaking out. And the person who was working behind the desk was my friend, and she and I were, we were just like really good friends, would chat about stuff, but she was like pretty, um, uh, like a straight shooter. Like you really, like she was just gonna fucking say what was on her mind. So this guy comes in and he's like, I'm losing it. I'm losing my mind. And we were like, what's going on? And he's like, well, I was like in the park and I looked down and the grass had a face. And then I turned around and the tree had a face and I have my fucking PhD. And all of a sudden, all this fucking shit in nature has faces. Anyway, the fae and the belief of them having yeah, this, the, yeah, it reminds me of this. So as a person with face blindness, <laughs> I find that fascinating. Yeah. Uh, because there is a disorder that seems to be the opposite called pareidolia, which is the phenomenon of seeing faces everywhere in random places. But it happens suddenly, though? Because it, it happened like overnight. It can. It's kind of like prosopagnosia where like it can be a symptom of another thing. Mm. So, like, if you have, like, a psychotic break, you could have pareidolia. Um, he seemed pretty okay other than just kind of freaked out. And my friend was like, uh, yeah, everything has a spirit. What the fuck do you think is happening? Like, of course that's true. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I can't remember how it really resolved. But I think that he was, like, fine. And she was like, it's just a magical awakening. Welcome to the world, my dear friend. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like – um, pareidolia explains a lot of folklore, a lot of like, oh, that mountain is a troll because it has a face. Okay. Um, because our brains are naturally tuned to Looking like for look for faces mm-hmm. to find other people because we're herd animals. And when that gets dialed up to 11, you get pareidolia. And when that gets dialed down to zero, you get prosopagnosia. Mm. Um, so 
Yeah, uh, that's that's really fascinating. And it's probably why the the druids were like, yeah, there's spirits in the trees. Look at the knots in these trees, the face, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the traditions that survived, like this is like everybody's like, oh, Irish mythology is so obscure, so complicated. And it is. But you're you actually do it all the fucking time. Uh, one of the traditions is knocking on wood for good luck. The druids would knock on wood to get the attention of the good fairies in the tree and scare away the bad ones. If you had a wish or desire, you'd knock on wood once, ask your favor, uh, and then knock again to say goodbye. So the first knock is a hello. Second knock is a goodbye. So if you ask people like, you know, when you knock on wood for good luck... How many times do you knock? They will always say twice. Um, very few people are like, knock on wood. Like, no. <laughs> just, just do it and tell you what to stop. Just knock on wood once. Because if you don't close the gate, the bad fairies will come and fuck up your shit. And now that they know your wish, they'll definitely know how to fuck with you. Yeah, fairies are just, they just want to fuck around. And like, on okay, this is like from from your magic mother who is giving you advice. Um if you have a fairy fucking with you, leave out candy and ale. It's like uh, beer or different kinds of ale as well as like meads, like fairies love meads, honey and candy. And if you lose something, leave out those things and they will bring it back. So if you have a fairy fucking with you, just leave them like gifts and they will stop fucking with you. It's much easier to have a fairy work with you than it is to have a fairy work against you. So that's a little from your from from L the magical person here. So yeah. that's for you guys. And so whenever you knock on wood, you're doing Irish folk magic. RJ's like, I don't know about this Faye thing, but I but do know about the wood knocking. I, I do know about the wood knocking. <laughs> yes. And like, I've done that all my life. My very religious family would knock on wood. Um, and I never questioned why you knock on wood twice. And then I was like, oh, there's like a reason. I've never heard it twice. I I mean, I knock on wood when I say something that I don't want to happen or when you're like, gotta, you know. Yeah. I guess I do it twice, yeah. Yeah, everybody does it twice. Hmm. Uh, so even though the Celts and Druids faced their cultural genocide, the way that they like basically disseminated the information before they were totally exterminated still lives on today mm. in our culture. And uh, the legends of the Fae exist in poems and songs written by bards who learned the mythology on the down low from the Druids. The Druids were like, hey, 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 songwriter, man, I had a cool story for you. I have something you know, got to something tell for you people. to write a song about <laughs> so that the Jesus people don't burn us alive. OK, yeah. here we go. If it's a song, then it's not like magic. So the bards at the time were professional storytellers that would be hired to write poems or sing songs. In Celtic destruction, uh, they would inspire like warriors before battle, like before like, you know, Celtic, the Celts were exterminated. They were mm-hmm. like sing songs of inspiration before battle and sing songs in taverns to relay the stories of the great battles and the warriors who fought them. And they would relay messages uh, from the Druids in verse and song to the people so mm-hmm. that they can remember it since it was in verse. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
So they were just like an important part of the the society for these druids. So they were like, okay, this whole keeping everything a secret thing is not super working. So we'll just spread it in songs on the down low and people will remember our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and bards, of course, you probably think of like Dungeons and Dragons, the bard class. And it works in pretty much mm-hmm. the exact same way. <laughs> like sing yeah. songs and it buffs your party or debuffs the enemy. Yeah. Um, yeah. When St. Patrick and his Christians were obliterating Celtic culture in Ireland, the Druids began sharing their tales with the bards. In fact, the reason we have any Celtic mythology at all is because of these bards. Uh, But for this reason, bards were considered a lower class of poet than the more Christian-oriented orators and musicians. Mm -hmm. And the bards, like, leaned into it like, yeah, we're fucking nasty and we'll fuck you up with poems and shit. <laughs> Which, like, very solid. Yeah, um, you know, good tactic. They're the slam poets of their time. Yeah. Um, and uh, the bards slowly evolved into satirists and comedians. Uh, so while the, the Christian folk were doing their right pop- proper poems about Jesus, uh, <laughs> the bards were just like doing your mom jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was believed that um, Irish bardish satire or glam de sin would cause boils to grow on the face of the target. So literally they would roast you so hard you'd break out. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I, 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 who says magic isn't real? I feel like a co- there's a couple of poets who could roast you so hard that, that you would break out in boils. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, started the tradition of Irish cur- cursing songs. I was going to say, yeah. That we talked about in our Rhapsodomancy episode. Uh, of course, fairy stories run the gamut and are fascinating and terrifying in equal measure. Often the stories feature a person who stumbles into a fairy circle, a phenomenon where toadstools have grown in a circle, just in the grass in a circle. Mm-hmm. This just like happens in nature. Or the grass is just pressed down in a circle and you don't know why, like a crop circle. Or rocks are placed in a circle seemingly naturally. Um, which kind of can just happen from erosion like mm-hmm. when you live in like swamp or wetlands. Um, the person is either lured there or they end up there by accident. They just look down. They're like, oh, shit. Oh, no. And then they are transported to the fae because they're portals, the fairy circles. They are treated to what appears to be a woodland revelry, just like a party. With all the fairies. You know, I think Shakespeare wrote. A, yeah, you, a, I, I think he wrote something. A cautionary a, tale. Schmidt, something like that. I, I think I've like yeah. heard of this. Yeah, so they'd be treated to this woodland revel- revelry, but it's actually a cover for stealing their life force mm-hmm. and trapping them in the Fae forever. Uh, the fairies are rumored to be unable to reproduce naturally, so they need to take advantage of humans to keep their species alive. Often fairies will steal, like, steal children, and that brings us to the extra spell. This extra spell is sponsored by you. <laughs> you you're sponsoring it. Um, <laughs> you can donate directly to the show by sending any amount of money to at dollar compliments on Venmo and be sure to mention Mancy in your donation. And I will give you a fake tarot reading. Just I'll draw a card and I'll be like, ah, look at this guy's having a sad time about his swords. And I'll give you a reading. <laughs> now fairies 
are known for shape-shifting into people or animals. Sometimes it's to give guidance, but other times it's to lure a human into the fae and trap them there forever. Sometimes, though, they wouldn't just trap a person, they would replace them entirely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fairies that did this were called changelings. The fairies would shapeshift or glamour one of their own to look like a person, usually a woman or a child, and then lure them into the fae and make the swap. The fake is rumored to be like a sick old fairy or just a undesirable from fairy society. So if somebody like randomly got a severe illness, randomly seemed weaker, or had a great personality change, they were a changeling. It was a changeling. Okay. Yeah. And while this is just, you know, fairy stories, uh, it became all too real in 1895 in the curious case of Bridget Cleary, sometimes called the last witch executed in Ireland. And I'm going to warn y'all, this story is fucked. This story is absolutely fucked. Uh, so heads up, trigger warning for uh, spousal abuse. Okay. Now, Bridget was married to a man named Michael Cleary, but they were never able to have children. Like one or both of them was sterile, but we don't know which one. Okay. Bridget was like kind of a big deal in her community because she was financially independent. Not something women mm-hmm. normally are. Uh, she kept hens and made her own money off of the eggs, which she then used to buy a state-of-the-art Singer sewing machine, like right when sewing machines were created. Please buy my eggs. My family is starving. <laughs> Elle is playing a, a Animal Crossing type kind management of game. game. Yeah. And one of the characters is like, please buy my eggs. My, my family, family is starving. starving. <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, these game designers, uh, that's literally the game designers asking you to buy their game. Um, uh, well, also, there's like another part in there where you like make friends with all the like, sorry, with all the village people. And um, the village people say, friends are very important because someday you made it, you might need an appendectomy and then who's going to pay for it? <laughs> <laughs> this is post-capitalism, like late the capitalism, uh, Animal Crossing. <laughs> after after Tom Nook has just destroyed the economy of the Animal Crossing universe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now, with her new fancy schmancy sewing machine, she became a milliner and a dressmaker. She became the household breadwinner, and that made Michael feel a little um, emasculated. I've never heard of problems come from that at all. Yeah. I've never heard about men getting aggressive after that. And on top of that, she wouldn't bear him a child, so something was obviously wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then Bridget fell ill. First it was a cold, then it developed into pneumonia, possibly tuberculosis. It wasn't clear exactly what the illness was because there wasn't a doctor to diagnose her. But there was her uncle-in-law, Jack Doon, who knew exactly what what was wrong. Bridget must have gone to the nearby Fairy Fort, which is an old Celtic fort that has been eroded down to a mere circle of stone. So most mm-hmm. of the stone fairy circles are these fairy forts. Okay. Uh, it's rumored that these were entrances to the Fae, and Bridget was seen walking in that direction not long before she got sick. Therefore, the She's fairies fairy, took her, yeah. and in her place was a changeling. Mm-hmm. Despite denying that she was taken by fairies or even went to the fairy fort, her husband and uncle-in-law tied her to the bed and interrogated her. Jack prepared a vile herbal potion, like several actually, that contained human urine, mistletoe, salt, 
and iron nails. Just like the iron and the nails would give it properties. And no one, like, at any point was like, this guy is obviously trying to kill his wife so she so he can take her money. No. Cool. Uh, okay. And it, it was like she never left the house, you know? Yeah. And so it was just like she disappeared. Um, all those things that were in his potions would repel a fairy and disrupt their magic. If the accused changeling resisted or got sicker after drinking it, then it was confirmed. They were a changeling. Let me just say, if you're trying to get me to drink urine, no. Like, that's not the fuck. I guess just put me guess, on the fire. Guess you're a changeling. Kill me. Yeah, yeah. fuck it. I'm um, not doing it. And, of course, Brid- Bridget got sicker from drinking rusty piss leaves. No shit. <laughs> Mistletoe is literally toxic. It's yeah. fine. And, uh, of course. Of course she was a changeling then. Confirmed it. So they moved on to interrogation to find where the real Bridget was taken. Nine members of Bridget's family took part in this, believing that she was a changeling and that the sick fairy that looked like her would lead them to her. For days, they would hold her over a fire, burning her, beating her, to force her to confess that she was a changeling. She would continue to deny such things even as her sickness got worse from drinking the vile potions and the abusive treatment. Eventually, Michael soaked her in lamp oil and burned her alive, saying, She's not my wife. Watch, she'll go up the chimney. Of course she didn't. She became a charred corpse. Jack roped Bridget's brother into burying the body in a shallow grave in the yard. And before long, the town priest was notified that Bridget's husband and family burned her alive. No fucking shit. And the priest found the body reported it to the police, and the nine family members were arrested. The issue (laughs) during the trial... I just don't... Yeah, I've got nothing to say to that. (laughs) It's so fucked. Yeah. The issue during the trial was whether or not Bridget had died from the abuse and then was lit on fire, or if she was burned alive. They determined that she was burned alive, and Michael Cleary served 15 years in prison for manslaughter. Jack and the and two others were convicted of wounding, which is like physical assault that causes wounds. Mm-hmm. The others were sentenced to several months of hard labor for just like going along with it and enabling this. The sensational case would later be brought up to oppose the Irish Home Rule, which would allow the Irish sovereign government from the United Kingdom. The argument was, surely the Irish can't govern themselves when they believe these crazy fairy stories. They need proper guidance from Britain. Uh, And the Irish Home Rule would be the start of a lot of contemporary political issues in Ireland with the UK tightening its grip and being met with grassroots resistance and uprisings from the Irish. Hmm. It's just weird how this fucking guy and his fairy obsession like caused geopolitical changes. Uh, Yeah. But I mean, I think if we like look at the ways that like of like cultural desecration and how like that's what people do is they like point to these instances where they're like anecdotal evidence. Yeah. These tribal people in Africa clearly need Jesus because they're savages. They need to be saved. 
by us because they don't have computers. That right? was like the Spanish's biggest thing too. Yeah, it was like oh, we just need to spread Jesus everywhere. Actually, we're colonizing and taking resources. No, and that's but what it's it Jesus. Is. Yeah, no, but it's that you don't know what you're doing. You need you need guidance. You mm-hmm. need me to tell you because there's no way that you could know what you're doing. And it's like. <sighs> What won't humans do to control each other? Like, what, what what, wouldn't they do? Because it's pretty much anything. They would do pretty much anything to control each other. It's fine. Yeah. And Bridget herself is remembered in the way that all the Irish fairy stories and folklore is remembered. In verse and song as a children's jump rope rhyme. Huh. Are you a witch or are you a fairy or are you the wife of Michael Cleary? And kids still sing that when they jump rope. I have a thought. Um, if you hate your wife, leave her. Just, get a just fucking Please, leave. For the love of God. This like, is, just leave. This is why uh, amicable, amicable divorces are a good thing. Yeah. Like, if you just don't fucking want to be married or if you're like, I can't handle the fact that you make more money than me, then just fucking find someone else. Like, just fucking go away and leave people alone. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, that's, that story is just. Super fucked. I mean, it's so like unsurprising because I can just out of my head right now pull a million instances of the same things happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Because if remember when you're talking about Salem very, very briefly about the man, the only man that died during the Salem witch trials, it was he had like put his wife up first because he said that she was like too attractive to not be a witch because he couldn't fucking keep it in his pants and had said that his wife was a witch. And then when they went through all of that and they realized how much money money he had this is giles Corey. um then they put him on trial for being a witch and so i think that he got what he deserved honestly but like there's so many instances if you look at these of like men being like nope my wife is a witch that's the answer here that's just fucking insane and uh yeah michael cleary only got 15 years for this he, that's what's crazy he literally to me packed up and just moved to canada here drink canada. my urine oh just kidding let me fucking light you on fire yeah. He was like, you know, people are making fun of me in jump rope rhymes. I should probably move to Canada. I would do a lot worse if I saw him, but I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> and that was the extra spell brought to you by you. Donate any amount of money to at dollar compliments on Venmo, and I will do a fake, not psychic reading of whatever tarot card I pull for you. You can also support us by subscribing to patreon.com slash mancy. As a stancy, you'll receive episodes as soon as we're done making them. So no more waiting for part two. You'll also get to hear the occasional blooper and some behind-the-scenes takes when we collect collect them, when they happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now, back to Irish magic. While Bridget Cleary is called the last witch burned in Ireland, there were many other famous Irish witches and cunning folk, uh, they were called. In 1711, Ireland had its own Salem-level witch trial and eight women were convicted of witchcraft. It's called the Ismandalgee Witch Trial. And at the center of it all was Mary Dunbar. She was an 18-year-old girl that began showing the signs of demonic possession. She would have fits, throw Bibles, scream, and, and there were even reports that she vomited nails, pins, and buttons, and other <laughs> household items. Mary Dunbar pointed the finger at eight women in the small community of Ismendelgi. All of them were considered in some way undesirable. They were old, disabled, widowed, 
or just living on the fringes of the community. They were just like all the people that of course. fit the stereotype of a witch. Because those are the ones that won't have families that fight for them because those are the ones that they're able to kill because they want to get rid of the people in their society that they don't want. Yeah. And they just look for reasons to do that. The women were beset on by a mob and one of the women had her eye plucked out. Two high court judges presided over the trial. One judge urged the jury to acquit, citing that the women had all regularly attended Christian church meetings. <laughs> the other judge urged the jury to convict, being more conservative and anti-witchcraft because better safe than sorry. In the end, the jury voted to convict. In the end, though, they would have no idea what happened to them. Or no, we have no idea. They know. Uh, we have no idea what happened. Uh, if they were executed, banished, exiled, or what. We have no idea. At the very least, they were exiled and ostracized from their community. We don't know because the records house with the information was burned down during the Irish Civil War. So this whole thing was mostly just erased. Yeah. As, as usual, right? And to understand the climate of the times, like why witch trials were happening. People from Scotland were flooding into Ireland and they had very hardline Christian values, similar to the Puritans in colonial America who committed the Salem witch trials. Those hardline Christian values are still present today. In 2015, just like six years ago, Irish author uh, Martina Devlin wrote a book called The House Where It Happened about this witch trial. She petitioned to have a memorial put up and to have the women posthumously pardoned for this crime, mm -hmm. uh, much like the women of Salem in the U.S. were posthumously pardoned. Mm -hmm. However, right-wing conservatives, notably Jack McKee of Ireland's traditional Unionist Voice Party, opposed it, saying that he wasn't sure if the women were actually innocent of witchcraft and the memorial would become a monument to paganism. I would like to make him a monument to paganism. Dude, fuck Wicker Jack Wicker Man, McKee. this guy. He's dead. Um, <laughs> Wicker Man, the guy. <laughs> but Wicker, Wicker Man Jack McKee Let's sounds about right. Let's just put his spirit inside <laughs> of like some bread, and then we will do the Wicker Man with him <laughs> as bread. <laughs> There's, I was playing this game. Um, it's been a heavy game month for me. It's fine. But I was playing a game called Outlander, and it's like a resource management game as well. And one of them is like this crazy religious leader, like one of the islands you have to do, and he wants to build a wicker man. And you Whoa. have to make um, 100 loaves of bread in order to put in the wicker man to set it on fire. And so <laughs> this is what I've been thinking about as the wicker man in my game. And then I was like, let's just fucking put his soul in a loaf of bread, put that shit in the wicker man, burn that shit. Call it good. <laughs> I'm just on one today. So, I don't know where so I am. So this it's fucking fine. guy, Jack McKee, was a member of the same Presbyterian sect that unjustly convicted these women in the first place. Like, it's all mm -hmm. still here. But, hey, maybe they were witches because Jack McKee died the very same year he made those comments. So, like not put up the the voting against the um, the monument. So yeah, yeah. just get fucked, bro. <laughs> get wrecked. <laughs> I mean, he was 92 and he died of old age, but still, but get wrecked. But still, but still. Uh, also, like who the why the fuck are we asking 92-year-olds what they think about something become fuck off, Jack. Like fuck off. You're not going to be around long enough to see if it becomes 
a monument to paganism. And uh, I hope that memorial does happen, especially since the records documenting it were destroyed. And this is a story worth telling and a warning worth remembering. Yeah. And when we talk about Irish witches, okay, we're going to talk about the case of Biddy Early, the wise woman of Clare. She was a famous uh, white witch known for performing healing magic and rituals. Her parents were known in the community for their traditional herbal medicines, the recipes of which were closely guarded secrets, but they taught them to their daughter. When she turned 18, both of her parents had died and she was living out of poor houses, which was pretty rough fucking Mm -hmm. living for a young woman in Ireland. Uh, Homeless as she was, she still met a man and married him even with no dowry and nothing to offer except for her knowledge in herbal cures. Her husband supported her, and she began selling her cures, which took the town by storm. Mm -hmm. People fucking loved him. And the biggest reason was that Biddy didn't actually ask for money for her cures, but instead allowed her clients to decide how to compensate her. This is what actually led to the sensationalism. Whiskey and poteen, which is a type of liquor, were common trade items, and her house was always stocked up with liquor. Amazing. So her house became a real popular place to hang out and play (laughs) cards and drink and shit, uh, which was an incredible networking opportunity for her. You see, when people were poor in the 1800s in Ireland, uh, many of them couldn't afford a doctor or a priest, so they would turn to Biddy uh, and her pay-what-you-want cure emporium. In lieu of fortune, she earned fame. Mm -hmm. Well, then that leads to fortune down the line. Also, when you do that and you help out people, if you're like, you can't afford it right now, they'll come back and pay you back later. That's how it works. And on top of that, she was known to be highly empathetic to her clients' needs and stark contrast to the hardline authoritarianism of the doctors who were kind of doing quack medicine at the time. Yeah. They were right about a lot of things and wrong about a lot of things. They were uh-huh. drilling holes in people's head and shit. And the <laughs> priests who were just like throwing holy water on people. Yeah, let the ghosts uh, out one way or another. Yeah. So uh, Biddy Early actually just being like, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to take care of you versus the doctor is like, get the drill. And the priest who's like, tie him down. We're going <laughs> to dump holy water on him. Uh, yeah. So the people were like, I think I'd rather do that. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, but while she was doing great in the white witch healing business, she was also doing good in the black widow business. <laughs> Her husband died. Okay. And she remarried her stepson. Yikes. Her first husband, husband, when she was in the poorhouse, he was twice her age. But she was like, uh, sure. Oh, so probably, I bet her her stepson was probably closer to her age. Yeah, her stepson. probably was significantly less creepy than it sounds. Yeah, her stepson was closer to her age and, like, technically no genetic fuckery, but still a little. But still a little. I mean, I guess it depends, though, because probably uh, you would not look at a person who is half your father's age and be like, this person can nurture and raise me. Like, you're probably not thinking that. So it's probably not. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, he died. (laughs) Stepson died. Did they have money? And then she remarried. To someone who had money. And he died. Um, Shit. None of these people had money. She's famous among the poor people of Ireland. Uh, And then she remarried one last time and outlived him too. Well. (laughs) 
Okay. I I like I don't know. Um why would she kill them? Like what would be she, the She didn't kill them. Oh, they just died. They just died of Irish poverty and the struggles of the times. Poor woman. She just can't, yeah, can't she, keep a husband around. Yeah. I wanted to make a joke about, like, well, the power has to come from someone to cure all these people. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if that's, like, off color. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. At some point, Biddy obtained or crafted a bottle that she used for divination. The bottle contained an unknown black cloudy liquid that she would shake and then gaze into like a snow globe. And that would help her diagnose the issues of her patients and help her give general advice. It was kombucha. He was like, where to go? Find a new... Yeah, she just gets a bottle of nasty fucking kombucha and it's like yep that's syphilis sorry Alistair Crowley looks like syphilis again um, we'll talk about Alistair Crowley in as many and cases of syphilis yeah. later um, <laughs> um, her legend began to spread amongst the like the downtrodden and poor uh, Irish people, and her strong personality helped reinforce that legend. But with fame, often comes conflict. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church maintained strong control over Ireland in Biddy Early's time, the 1800s, which is you know mid 1800s. Uh, while Biddy didn't exactly have anything against Catholics, often telling patients to visit the priest when they need to. The priests, however, strong, yeah, they strongly her. disapproved of Biddy Early and her folk medicine. You see, the priests were considered noble and learned people. Biddy was from a background of tenant farmers, and there was also the whole homelessness thing. Mm. On top of that, she was stealing business from the priests and charging a fraction, if not, you know, nothing, nothing. Uh, compared to what they charged for medicine and ointments. And the rumor was that her cures were more effective than what the priests had. I'm sure they were because it was probably just some, you know, yeah. like folk medicine. Yeah, it's, it's up for debate. It was probably even the same stuff. But yeah, yeah as Biddy's reputation grew, the resentment from the priests in the church grew as well. Eventually, she was charged with witchcraft in 1860 under a 300-year-old anti-witchcraft law from Inquisition times. Needless to say, it was a bit of a stretch. (laughs) But the law was still on the books and they could still charge her with it. And so the charges went through. Of course, they didn't really have any proof that she was practicing witchcraft. There was evidence that she was selling herbal medicine. Mm -hmm. Of course, technically, she wasn't selling anything because she wasn't charging anything. People just gave her shit and she did them a favor. Yeah. So on top of that, medicine wasn't considered witchcraft, and much of what she was selling was very similar to what the priests were selling. So they really couldn't pin down anything condemning. Of course, witchcraft doesn't need evidence. No. You don't need evidence for witchcraft. You could convict somebody on testimony alone. So the priests and church officials began the work of finding people to testify against her. One problem, though. Nobody was going to snitch on Biddy Early. Absolutely fucking nobody. Yeah. Yeah, of course not. Of course not. The few uh, that the church did find who were willing to talk backed out before the court date. Straight up, people liked Biddy Early too much to do her dirty like that. She just wasn't a legend. She was a hero to these people. And the court acquitted her on all charges due to lack of evidence. Damn. Yeah. 
Damn. And Biddy kept at it till the day she died. Uh, remember when I said she lived, outlived all of her husbands? Well, her third husband died when she was 70. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. In 1800s Ireland. Yeah. Then she performed a cure for a dude in his 30s after she was widowed for the third time. And uh, she asked, okay, what do you want to pay me? And he offered to be her husband because he didn't have anything. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Or this one ain't going to die before me. No way. I'm 70. And then he drank himself to death. Um, <laughs> I would be so fucking mad. Yeah, in the end. I would be so uh, mad. Biddy Early died the way she lived, in abject poverty, but also as a goddamn legend. An absolute unit. Yeah. Wow. Fucking killing it, Biddy. I know. Love it. And that's just a few, like, surface stories from the world of Irish magic and Irish witches. I'm sure there will be more in the future, and there is a lot. An absolute metric fuck ton. But there's some groundwork for you. And now we're going to do some more Ogham of a kind. But this time we're going to use a board game. And this particular game is called The Duke. It's a chess variant by Catalyst Game Labs, and it won like a, a board game award at a uh, board game – like a big board game award or something for being uh, one of the best strategy games. It's a lot like chess. So it's a chess variant, but the big difference. Instead of starting with a full board of pieces, you draw your piece from a bag like Ogham. And you can take your turn to basically summon a new piece next to your king, which is called the duke. Uh, so there's this element of random chance uh, that's that's in this game that can really determine the the tide. Uh, and Ellen and I played this uh, a little bit so mm-hmm. that I could make sure she's familiar with the game. And all of the pieces are archetypes and roles from medieval and Kel- Celtic society. So... Yeah, the pieces are wooden, and the moves each piece can take are inscribed on it like a rune. And each piece is also double-sided. When you move it, you flip it. So, L, are you ready to perform divination with duke pieces? Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got the bag ready. I'm going to get get Rai's question real quick. <laughs> Just shaking around. All right. So, Rai wants to know. Uh, Rai wants a general energy check and also uh, wants to know what would happen if Z quit uh, their day job Mm -hmm. to pursue art full time. Okay. I'm going to do just general energy check in first. Okay. Let's see what's up. I also, in that bag, uh, there are some bonus pieces for variants of the game, one of which involves a dragon that's a neutral piece that wanders around the board just killing everybody, and one is a mountain, which is just serves as an obstacle. All right, so we got three pieces. Yes. So I pulled the marshal, the okay. ranger, and the longbowman. Okay. Um, so I would say 
It's a little like your energy is a little um, it like fluctuates quite a bit right now. I feel like that's the biggest thing is that it's kind of like you don't quite know exactly how much energy you're going to have. So you need to be really careful and take it like day by day. Like when you wake up in the morning, how much energy do how much energy do I have? What am I feeling like I need to do today? What do I need to nourish myself? And I would say that nourishment is the biggest thing because there's a lot of potential and a lot of opportunity for you to have um, a lot of advancement and a lot of growth, like a lot of personal evolution, especially through like the next, like the last nine months of this year, it feels really positive to do that, but that you need to be really strategic about what that looks like and not think that like every day you can do all of the things. Like some days you're just going to have to lay in bed and take a bath later. And other days it's like you can get so much done. So it feels like you just need to be a little bit careful and do a lot of check-ins with yourself about where you're at, where your energy level is and kind of what you can expect to get done in the day and really play that kind of um day by day and that feels really good to me so um just to just to go over what these pieces actually do in the game so the marshal has really great side to side movement the ranger is really good at getting all the way across the board it can like jump over other pieces and get all the way across the board to get a advantageous position but it can get stuck pretty easy and the long bowman can strike pieces that are far away in front of it uh, but doesn't have great mobility, so it can't move itself very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Put these back in. Put them back in. Give it a shake. That's how people really do draw runes when they do them. Yeah. They just kind of yeah, shake it around. And this is for kind of what life looks like if Z quits their day job and just does art, which I love. That's such a good question to check in on. Okay, I'm gonna pull. I, oh, I was so hoping. I thought it was going to be the poet. It's the wizard, but I love that. <laughs> uh, so you can make custom pieces for this game, and one of the custom pieces I made is called the poet, uh, which uh, works really well kind of as a bard, um, where it can block other pieces from moving forward and also command the pieces around it to make specific moves. Yeah. Okay, so I pulled the footman, the pikeman, and then the wizard, which I love. Yeah. So I actually think that it looks really good. Something that I think you need to be mindful of or kind of aware of is that it's going to take a lot of groundwork. Like that footman is telling me that there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be happening. And I think this is stuff that you've already put effort into and time into. But when you're really trying to look at making that transition, which I feel like the transition from leaving your day job to just doing art full time in about six months, like three to six months is when that feels really optimal to make that switch in about six months feels really like, okay, I am stable enough to make this happen. But you need to be putting in the effort now to be setting yourself up in order to um, have somewhere to go because it feels like the bigger question there is kind of what direction you need to head in or how you can really make that work. And I think that that's the thing is that you can make it work however you want it to, but you need to be the one that's thinking about that or you need to be the one that feels empowered enough to make those decisions. With that wizard there, I feel like let's just do some magic around it. 
let's just do some magic now and start like setting up um, maybe on the moon cycles, maybe on the cycles with um, paying attention to the seasons and kind of the changing of the earth, like going back to let's do some druid green witchery kind of stuff going on. Um, And I feel like integrating that into this transition is going to make it a lot smoother. So this needs to be both something that you do on practical levels in terms of laying the groundwork, figuring out, am I going to tour? Am I going to sell books? Are there book deals that I can go after? How can I work on getting more exposure? What does that look like? Do I need to raise my prices? Like those kind of practical business questions that surround artistry, but then also recognizing that you have this in with the universe that you should totally be taking advantage of. Don't do these things without being supported by the universe. And as long as you do those kinds of things together, that's where manifestation really happens, right? Is that combination between what I want to happen and what I know I can make happen and then kind of allowing your guides in the universe to fill in with everything in between there. So having a solid plan of what things look like and really making um, making some movement in the groundwork process, but then also utilizing magic to kind of push you forward. And that feels like a lot of this stuff is going to be pretty well within your striking distance and that you're going to have no problem being successful at that. But it has to be that combination of the two worlds to make it really work. So just so we know what these pieces are, the footman is basically the pawn, um, like the pawn would be in chess. And it's the only piece other than the duke, the king, that you start with on the board is you start with one footman. Um, the pikeman has really good vertical attack and like vertical movement, um, but doesn't have very good side to side movement. They're, they're just really tricky to get around. Uh, and the wizard can move basically in all directions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The wizard is kind of like a version of the queen that jumps like a knight uh, rather than slides like a queen. So the wizard is a really strong piece to have. Yeah. Yeah. Looks good. I like it. Yeah. Well, Rye, I hope this was a good reading for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, <laughs> Thank, thanks for letting us do this reading with board game pieces. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Hit us up on Patreon and L will do a reading for you on the show using whatever divination method we're covering. Patreon.com slash Mansi. Also, if you like the show, please share with your friends. The more support we have, the more episodes we can make. And if you like my writing, you can pick up books and stuff at rjwalkerpoet.com. If you wanted to get a reading from me, you can find me on Etsy at my shop, which is at Laurels of Lux. You can find me on my Twitter at Laurels of Lux. You can send me mean emails or nice emails. You can just send an email to laurelsoflux at gmail. And yeah, reach out if you guys need anything. I'm more than happy to help and work around any parameters that you've got going on if you need anything. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Arthi Vinke, Miyu, and Scott Buckley.